some of you I instantly recognise, which is great. It's good to know, good to see you, but others are, might not know who I am. My name's Michael Shaw. I, um, I'm a minister in training at the Baptist College with Mackie and Helen, and uh, I, uh, I'm currently a leader of a small church in Bedminster called East Street Baptist Church, who, uh, to whom from whom I send my greetings, uh, well, bring my greetings, and send my greetings. But, uh, um, uh, yeah, so, some of you might know me from a few years back when I used to work at a project called Resource Bristol. Uh, so I did that for a few years before uh, becoming a minister training at East Street Baptist Church. Uh, thinking this morning, uh, while we were in the prayer room, praying, there was about eight people in the room, and I realised that there were probably more people in that room than I get sometimes on a Sunday. Um, you know, literally we can sometimes get as little as six or seven people, and there we were in this room with eight people, more people than sometimes I get on a Sunday. And one of the things I'm still passionate about, and although I'm doing what I'm doing now, which is a minister of a church, I'm still passionate about some of the principles that Resource had, some of the principles of, of seeing a city uh, and seeing the context of city and seeing all of the churches in that context of city rather than just seeing ourselves in different separate parts of the city. And so, you know, I, I think it's one of, the, one of the things about today, about this, the Lane Ministry Sunday, where, where, where different people go to preach in different churches from very different situations, is part of that sharing of, of a wider, wider context of church across the whole region. And, and I, you know, I, I've always, I always thought it was amazing how much this church put into resource. And I, I hope you continue to remember your context in the wider city. That's really important. But anyway, on to this passage. Um, I live in uh, Bedminster now, um, but I used to live in, in Easton. I used to uh, uh, spend a lot, I used to go to be part of St. Mark's Baptist Church in Easton, and, uh, and I, I became very familiar with the Stapleton Road, really familiar with the Stapleton Road. I used to wander up and down it so many times I was up and down the Stapleton Road. And sometimes you can wander somewhere and become so familiar with the, 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 the kind of road that actually, or, or the place, or, or something that actually you miss, the obvious. And I remember part of my job with resource, I sometimes had to, if people came to the city, they'd, they'd come and meet me, and I, I showed them around the area. And I, I was walking a group of people along Stapleton Road once, and a road, as I said, I must have walked, you know, a couple of hundred times. And, and someone said, what's that house? And, and in between all these shops, rows of shops, and if you've ever been in, in Stapleton Road, you know it's mainly takeaway shops and stuff like that. In between was this house, slightly set back uh, on the road. Uh, and, uh, and I looked at it and I said, I've never noticed that before. I've never spotted that house before. How have I never spotted that? That's so unusual and so different. And yet I have never seen it before. And sometimes when we approach the Gospels particularly, uh, we are so familiar with some of the stories, we've heard them so many times, that actually sometimes it's hard to spot that unique thing that you've never seen before. Now, I'm not going to say that I'm going to be able to do that for you today, but I'm hopefully going to be able to come at this passage in a slightly different way. When Jesus uh, first spoke, um, there was no doubt about the reaction he got, uh, and it was not always welcome. And in Mark 2... We see four separate stories uh, split into sections, um, but each one is based around a particular question. A particular question asked not by people who supported him, but people who were opposed to him. 
So in verse 6, we have the question, uh, who can forgive sins but God alone? That's the first question he's asked. This is asked by the, uh, the teachers of the law. In verse 16, he is asked, well, not asked of him, but the question is asked, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So that's another question asked about Jesus. Then one directly uh, to him in, uh, I think it's verse, um, verse 18. How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but yours do not? It's another question of opposition. And finally, um, in verse 24, why is it that you are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So all four questions are trying to undermine Jesus in some way. They're voices of opposition, questions of opposition placed within these stories, and actually hinge points for all of the stories. And and, um, we have an image of, of Christ that we maybe have built up over many years, but I don't believe that Jesus was a particularly easy person to get on with sometimes. I think he was actually quite a difficult person. I think the amazing thing about him being a difficult person is that he drew people towards him. And here we're seeing this awkward side that he has. Jesus was not a politician. He didn't do spin doctors. He he was not out to charm people. But somehow, as I said, he does draw people to him. And in in this story, we see one of those characters, and I'll tell you more about him, Matthew, who gets drawn or the Levi, who gets drawn to Jesus. You see, throughout his ministry, throughout his ministry, the voices of opposition are continually at him. And actually, it's the voices of the opposition that drive him eventually to, uh, to, 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 to a point where, where he, is, he is being charged and convicted of a crime that he has never committed. It's voices of opposition that are questioning him even then. But here we start seeing... Some of those. We know that these were religious leaders. We know they were lawmakers, the, 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 the Pharisees. But what had Jesus done that they found so difficult, that they, that they drove, drove him to be, uh, them to be so op- in opposition to someone who other people saw as, as, as someone very special and important? See, the problem is they put God in a box, they put God in a box, and they put him in a, in also the Messiah in a box. They put God in a box, and they put the Messiah in a box. And the problem was that Jesus didn't fit their Messiah box. And the God that Jesus spoke about didn't fit their God box. And these four questions asking, were asked to Jesus or about Jesus because actually they were trying to find out how he fitted into the box or if he didn't fit into the box that they had already imagined. So the first question, who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, for them, the Messiah's role was about salvation, but their form of salvation. They were exiles in their own land, Uh, They were ruled by a foreign power. The Messiah box said to them that one day this Messiah would come 
and he would overthrow, he would save his people, possibly with a violent revolution, uh, that would, would release them from their exile within their own country. That was the Messiah box they had. And Jesus was different. He did come to save. He came to set people free, but not from Roman occupation. But he came to set them free from exile created by sin. Sin set people apart from oneness with God. It created an otherness. This otherness is not limited to God's relationship to man, but all relationships. When, when man committed sin, he, she created otherness from God. And actually God had created the world to be in oneness, in, in a one. And actually sin had broken down that relationship between God and man, and in the process had broken down all relationships And sin is the cause of broken relationships. See, Jesus came to remove the barrier of sin so that we could return to oneness. So that we could return to oneness with God and oneness with each other. And the consequence of, of sin is broken relationships, broken lives. Broken relationships and broken lives. Sin destroys relationships. And Jesus came to remove that barrier. So when Jesus healed the man with uh, the, the, the paralytic man, he not, did only, not only just res, res, you know, restored the, 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 this relationship with God uh, and um, man through the barrier of sin, but he also restored the physical illness that Im impacted that man, because that was not part of God's creation. That was part of otherness, not oneness. For the paralytic, the healing of sin indicated uh, a healing of physical healing as well. It was a mixture of both. It was both. It was healing from both his, his spiritual and also his physical complaint. So, who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, we learn that Jesus can forgive sins because Jesus was aiming to restore that oneness. Next question. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners. When God chose to bless Abraham with a nation, it was for a purpose beyond Abraham. And this is an important fact. The intention of creating a covenant with one nation through one man was to go beyond that nation into the entire world. The intention was that the, the, the nation of, of Abraham was to be a nation of priests and they would be to take the message of the one true God into the entire world. So actually, uh, that's why monotheism is such a key aspect of the, of the, of the relationship of, of, of Israel with its God, as one God. So we read in, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, the, the, the Shema, which is hero Israel, our God, your God is one so it's one God, one people, one nation, one world. And, and the Israelites weren't meant to be separate from that, but integral to it. They were the priests. The problem with Israel was, was that they were an unfaithful people. And their, un, 
unfaithfulness led them to exile and ultimately rejection from God. As priests, their purpose was to not be separate from the world, but to minister to the world, to tell the world about this one true God. But they focused upon introspection. They saw the people they perceived to be unclean and separated themselves from them. So, so but that also didn't just work externally, but that also worked internally. So anyone within their own nation who was unclean was separated from them. Jesus was different. His box was different from the one they'd put him into. You see, he saw God's purpose in everybody. He chose to eat with the ones that others rejected. Jesus saw potential. Jesus saw beyond the obvious. Jesus saw what people could be, not what they were. He saw the oneness in people, not the otherness in people. So why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, let me just remind you about who he was eating with. He was eating with Levi, who was known as Matthew. And in Matthew's Gospel, he actually calls him Matthew. Um, and in Matthew's Gospel, just a few chapters, a few paragraphs later, it talks about the disciples. And it says that one of the disciples was Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew is possibly the writer of one of the Gospels, an outcast who wrote one of the Gospels that we read as central to our text and understanding of Jesus Christ. Oneness rather than otherness. So why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because Jesus saw the oneness, not the otherness. How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but yours do not? Jesus was not against fasting. In fact, um, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus teaches on fasting, he says, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast. He taught on fasting. I think Jesus spent 40 days in the desert fasting. But Jesus was not just into fasting. Jesus was also into feasting. He knew how to celebrate. He knew there would be a time to fast, but this was not that time. This was the time to feast. This was the time to enjoy. The voices of opposition saw internal exile under the Romans as a curse. For them, this was a time of mourning. This was a time of mourning because they were in exile in their own country, ruled by another nation. And the box they'd put the Messiah in believed that too. But Jesus, again, was not in that box. Uh, C.S. Lewis, um, in, uh, in his Chronicles of Narnia, uh, was, you know, writes about Aslan when the question is, uh, is, is he safe? He says he's not safe, but he is good. Jesus was difficult. Jesus was a spiky character, but he must have been fun to be around. Jesus was not what they expected. Sometimes we can take things a little bit too seriously, there is, though, a time to party and a time to mourn. And the reason this was a time to feast was, again, about oneness and otherness. With Jesus with them, they were one. This was a time to feast, not a time to fast. The disciples were one with Jesus. This was a time to enjoy him 
and to enjoy his presence. So why did the John's disciples feast and the disciples of the Pharisees feast? But they did not, because this was a time not of fasting, but of feasting and enjoying oneness with Jesus. Why is it you're doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? God was in the rules box. God was in the rules box. The laws were to be obeyed. Now, this is where I get into my cricket geek mode, and I'm really apologetic now, but I'm a bit of a fan of cricket. You know, if, you, you know, if anyone met me, you'll know that after a while I'll, I'll turn the conversation at some point to cricket, so I might as well turn a sermon to cricket. Anyway. Um, but in cricket, you have rules. You have things that you have to do. But they also have what they call the spirit of the game. And the spirit of the game is not about the legal definition of the rules, but actually sometimes when actually you try to understand what that rule is trying to mean, where that rule is trying to lead you to. And actually sometimes it's more important to understand the spirit than the letter. You need to understand what underpins the laws, not what actually the laws say. And the Sabbath was designed with a very simple purpose. It was designed to set people free. Six days to work, one to rest. But it had become a ritual. It had become legalistic. And all these were signs not of oneness of God, with God, but otherness from God. Because they didn't understand what it was about. They were separated from God because they didn't understand what the Sabbath was for and what it was about. Otherness from God, which meant not just otherness from God, but also otherness from each other and otherness from the world. Everything becomes separate. And so, so the laws have to be made so that you can understand. But actually the wonderful richness of the Sabbath was to say, hey, take a day off, enjoy yourself. Otherness came in the sense that this was created for freedom, but had become an enslaving thing. And religion does that. Religion does that. Jesus came to create oneness. And oneness doesn't need rules. Oneness understands and loves. They had become slaves to something they should have been, that should have been serving them. The spirit of the law had become lost because the God box they had placed God in was not of one as father, but of one as tyrant. Jesus came to challenge these boxes. And this was another box he challenged. So why is he doing something that is unlawful on the Sabbath? Because actually it was never meant to be unlawful on the Sabbath. To heal somebody. Jesus came to give a fresh vision. The Pharisees and the lawmakers had made God out to be uncaring, selective, dour, legalistic. But Jesus showed through himself that the God, their God box was wrong. The, the box they placed God in, the box they placed the Messiah in was wrong. God was not interested in maintaining otherness of deciding who was in and who was out. Tax collectors were bad, Pharisees were good. He wasn't interested in creating more routes to otherness. He wasn't interested in seeing decisions about whether someone's sin should be healed by somebody, or, but actually 
sin had to go. It was a barrier between the oneness and otherness. God and Jesus wanted oneness, not otherness. So what does that pose to us? What is our God box like? How does it affect how we see God? How does it affect how we see other people? If our God box promotes otherness over oneness, where does our God box need challenging? If our God box says we exclude some people, include others, have we got our God box wrong? Because actually I don't think God fits in our box. I don't think God fits in any box. I think that's part of our problem. We like boxes. God isn't one. He's not box-shaped. Jesus wasn't box-shaped. Jesus came to bring about a sense of oneness to people, to allow people to see who they truly were, to enable people to enter into a relationship with God that they were created to be in. The voices of opposition said, actually, there are some people who are other than us, and we are going to keep them out. How do we do that? We still do it. We do it every single day. There are people we shun and we're people we talk to. How do, we, how do we as a people start promoting oneness rather than otherness? I'll quickly pray. Lord Father, thank you that you sent your son. Thank you that you sent your son to be with us and to teach us what you are truly like. Forgive us when we put your son into a box. Forgive us when we put your son into a particular box that restricts him in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. Forgive us where we've limited the impact of your son into our life because of the box that we've created. Forgive us when we've put you into a box and limited your impact into our lives. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, and help us to see where the boxes are that we have created and help us to break those down so that we may promote a oneness rather than an otherness. In your holy name, amen.